Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. Hey, George. Sir. How are those uh, bodily fluids doing? <laughs> They're full fluoride. Yeah. <laughs> Fluoridated. Fluoridated. <laughs> Fluoridinated. That's a different thing. The fluoridation has taken full effect. At this point. God, those commies, once you have nice teeth. I'm very, very mellow, which was the point, right? I don't know. Take, I don't to know take away our essence? I don't Just know. make us spongy things? I thought they wanted us to have nice teeth and be healthy, but whatever. Hmm. We watch <laughs> Dr. Strangelove or the Armageddon to Failsafe's Deep Impact or... The Illusionist to Failsafes, The Prestige, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. George, did you learn to stop worrying, and did you no. learn to love the bomb? No, I still don't like the bomb. But it was a cascade of beautiful explosions at the end. I don't like the bomb still. <laughs> did you get your cowboy hat out? No. That was ridiculous and hilarious <laughs> and ridiculous. What the hell? It's like a... It was like a goofy movie. Yeah, it was yeah, it was weird. Goofing off about that? It's goofy. Now, if you haven't listened to our previous episode on the movie Failsafe from the same year, 1964, I highly recommend that you listen to that episode and watch that movie prior to this episode because we're going to spoil the holy hell out of both movies. But, mm. yeah, George, early impressions of Dr. Strangelove. What are you thinking? It was goofy. It was unexpectedly goofy. It wasn't the Kubrick you were expecting. No, no not at all. Not at all. Hmm. Kind of, I mean, like almost the identical movie to what we watched last time, but not almost identical, but like the same, it's the same thing. Right. Different director, different, it's trying to make you feel differently. It's like sitting down and watching Speed and then watching Airplane. <laughs> <laughs> like yep. it's just it, it it's sat it's satire, but it's a different kind of satire. Yeah, it's like meta satire. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot how uh, wacky this movie was. Actually, I had a crash course tonight. <laughs> I thought it was awfully <laughs> serious. I mean, the Coca Cola Company <laughs> is not gonna like hearing. That their machine was shot just to save the world from nuclear annihilation. <sighs> right. It's true. That, I mean, that, that line was delivered perfectly, though. You know? Uh, most lines in this movie were. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you, you, have, you have to be on your game to, to deliver the goofiness of this movie on the same... To, to try to do the same exact movie as Failsafe, but Failsafe did the complete opposite. Like, everything was just so damn serious. Mm-hmm. To watch this, it's almost the same exact movie. Yeah. Like, it's it, they use the same script. It was just mm-hmm. Kubrick's like, all right, someone stole the script, and they're making a serious version of this movie. We're just going to continue. We're just going to do what we're doing, and we'll just come out a month earlier, or two months earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you like better, George? Uh, 
I think failsafe is a more yeah my personality type. Yes. But this was very entertaining. One of the reasons I wanted to watch him in this order was because I've always felt like failsafe got screwed. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give you the chance as a fresh set of eyes to see if I'm crazy or if, yeah, failsafe is actually a more successful movie. I mean, they're both great, but I, I do. I also prefer failsafe. And so I'm just I was interested to see, you know, if we could flip the market with uh, Strange Love having come out first in 64, it got the advantage of being first to the market. But I think comparing them uh, even keel. I, I would tend to say that Failsafe is the better of the two. I would agree. <clears throat> I think it's unfair to compare the two. But it's, it's, it's logical because they are the same movie. But they're completely different movies. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I said, like, you know, you, my personality draws me towards the more right. serious one. And mine draws me to this. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And mainly because the to me, if I want a story, yeah, I'm gonna watch Fail. Fail and I'd never seen Failsafe, but now I understand. So I would watch Failsafe for that serious drama. But if you want characters, this fucking movie is ridiculous. The fact that Peter Sellers plays three different people in this movie, they're all epic. George C. Scott, who you don't really know. Yeah. Played the the whack, wacky general. If you saw him in Patton, <laughs> and then you saw him in this, which wacky general? Uh, the the screamer, the the guy in the war room. The, these damn commies. We got, yeah, that guy, like we're he's gonna just, see the big board. Yeah, gotta see the big yeah, board. Yeah, 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 that guy. Okay, just so <laughs> over the freaking top. What was the what was the uh the general's name that actually the A wall guy? They killed himself in the bathroom. Oh, you mean General Dix Handley? Guys, <laughs> Dix Handley. he's back again. <laughs> Seems like I heard it was name Ripper, like right? Talk about this. Jack Ripper. Jack D. Ripper. Jack D. Ripper. Yeah. Nothing on the nose <laughs> about that name. Uh, it's so funny. But yeah, like I, I believe he's coming off of Patton when doing this. Okay. So, like, he played fucking General Patton. <laughs> yeah. In an epic in Oscar. A, in a serious role. Yeah, Oscar-nominated, I believe, one uh, performance. Patton was a couple of years later, bro. Oh, was it? I thought it came, this came out second. No, uh, this came out first. Oh, shit. Dan and Post. Dan and Dan in real Dan time. And Dan current. in real time taking it. All yeah. right, well, let's screw with everything I was saying. No, but, okay. You watch this, then you watch Pat, and you'll be blown away by the oh. fact that he's completely the opposite <laughs> guy. Good save, good save. Yeah, but I, I could have sworn that one came out before the other, but yeah, it's understandable after seeing this that he became what he became. Like, you're going to see him a bunch. Yeah. He's kind of like a Brando, a Pacino, mm-hmm. you know, a De Niro. He's, he's George C. Scott, so he's pretty epic. But Peter Sellers, this is like his... Uh, I mean, Peter Sellers is known for being the Inspector Clouseau in all the Pink Panther movies. He's mm-hmm. like the that generation's. I don't want to say who. Who would you equate him to now, Dan? I mean, I don't want to say Jim Carrey because he's not goofy funny. I mean, he but... was kind of Leslie Nielsen before Leslie Nielsen was Leslie yeah. Nielsen. Just so deadpan. Yeah, like he he would 
he would read he could read the the funniest freaking joke and just not break and you you would just sit there and go am i supposed to I'm not really sure mm. like he's just he's so good at playing characters and now this does, just showcases him like crazy george can you tell me the three characters played by peter sellers from this movie you just watched i could not oh really no mm. Hmm. Hmm. Well, he was Strange Love. Mm hmm. He was the president. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he, he played two polar opposite characters right there in the same room. Mm hmm. And then he was the, uh, uh, what was the name of that? The, the assistant to the guy that shot himself. The British guy. Oh, he was British. The right. guy who made the other guy blow, uh, shoot, a, shoot a vending machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he played three completely, and he was supposed to play the guy that rode the missile down okay. to the explosion. And the cowboy. Yeah, I believe he, I don't know why he pulled out of that or wasn't available or something, and then they cast the guy they did, who later on we see in Blazing Saddles, playing the same character. <laughs> What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? You know that guy? I would almost uh, say that Kubrick was really going for a Mel Brooks thing yeah. at times in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that sat- satire, but not RoboCop satire. You know, it's more something Mel Brooks would do. Yeah, it's, it's like I'm slapstick. just going to take, I'm going to take f- fail safe and I'm just going to, I'm just going to Leslie Nielsen up. Make it, make it in the airplane. Make it into, you know, naked gun. Gentlemen, you cannot fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> that was a great line. There's a lot of great lines. I'm gonna give it credit where credits due. Some real good stuff. Well, I don't think it's quite fair to condemn the whole program because of a single slip up. <laughs> mm. <laughs> As the single slip up is barreling towards but, nuclear annihilation. Right. Oh, man. Oh, and great little cameo. Not a cameo because he wasn't really famous at the time, but I found it really interesting to hear Darth Vader's voice in this movie. Yeah, what is he doing in that bomber? That's so funny. Like, you hear him over the radio, and it's like, in in 10 years, he's going to, or 14 years, he's going to be Darth Vader. Yeah. So he's he's saying these lines, and some of them sound like they're coming through the radio. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's just awesome to hear because he was. I don't want to say he was a nobody. I'm sure he had work, but sure, that was a nice little treat. But hearing his voice over the radio mm-hmm. or through some electronic thing, yeah, it just kind of it, it was it was funny to me. Like you almost wanted to hear him say like. There's no stopping him this time. Like you just hear that you hear yeah. that voice, but it's younger, but it's deep enough that it kind of reminds you of him. So it's it was it's a foreshadowing. Theory. Yeah, nice little foreshadowing. Wouldn't surprise me a bit to find out that that is where they found him. Kind of like how you know Mel Gibson saw Jim Caviezel getting whipped in Account of Monte Cristo and was just like, "There it is. There's that whipping face." It's possible. Definitely. You know, watching that movie. Oh, that guy's got a great voice. We should probably mm-hmm. look at what he's doing. Yeah, no, I, I completely, uh, and I'm sure George Lucas was a huge fan of Dr. Strangelove. I mean, I can almost. I think everybody in that era loved this movie. I mean, I think everybody yeah. loves this movie. I don't know a lot of detractors from this movie. 
I never actually sat down and watched the whole thing from beginning to end. I've watched parts multiple times. I studied the Strange Love character for a play. So I watched a lot of his parts. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with all that stuff. But the all the all the nuance, all the in between, all the filler, I really didn't pay attention to as much as I probably should have. So it was actually nice to watch it after seeing Failsafe and seeing the connection even more. But yeah, all the strange love stuff, I I had to basically copy that in a play. So I was just like eating that up. You got your uh you got your fist bite. Everybody My loves a good bite. fist yeah. bite, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he pounds the shit out of his hand. <laughs> so good. Well, it's funny. I was I was playing uh, Dr. Scott in Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. and he's the character that's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So you've never seen Rocky Horror, but he's the straight character. He's the he's the um, the doctor trying to hunt down the the bad guy in the in the in the movie. So the director of the play is like, "Listen, we're doing all these movie homages in the play." I need you to play Dr. Scott, but he's normally played this way. I want you to watch Dr. Strangelove, and I want you to play it like Dr. Strangelove. So there's a there's that German connection. Mm-hmm. There's uh, that Nazi overtone mm-hmm. in both characters. Yep. So then he's like, I want you to just just watch it and then come to rehearsal and just play. Just do stuff. So I did all kinds of stuff, and and most of it stayed. And wrestling with my hand, mm-hmm. uh, I stood up. <laughs> I stood up during the play, and the I heard the director cackle from the back of the room. <laughs> so I was just like, all these things that we were playing with, most of them stayed. So it I was it was well worth it to watch this movie. I couldn't do the voice because right. I wanted to do the the German accent. A little more um, deeper and and more direct. He's very subtle in this movie. It's it's almost like you got to lean forward to hear what he's saying sometimes. Absolutely, that doesn't play well on the stage. But you got to play at the back back of the room, right? Right. But yeah, great performance. Yeah, you bet your sweets, Mister Commie. Look at this, Mister President. This lousy commie rat was taking pictures with this thing of the big board. Yeah, he was going somewhere. I I'd never seen him do that in any other movie. I mean, he did the the shouting because he was patting, but it was so serious that. But I'd never seen this goofy version of of George C. Scott. In swim trunks. In swim trunks. Banging his secretary. <laughs> that was a great yeah. scene. And she answers the phone. Now this is his secretary, and it's like okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's not really a Kubrick movie. No. <laughs> oh, it's got stuff. It's got some good it, camera angles. Yeah, that's true. I was watching a bit with my kid today, and uh, a couple of times he goes, why is it that camera angle? I'm like, well, it's because Kubrick made a choice. Mm. He did that on purpose. Like, he does everything on purpose. He doesn't do anything by everything. accident. Nothing by accident. <laughs> there was no light switches. I think Wendy was flying that plane. I really did, though. I had one point in the movie today where I paused it and I went, man, if somebody was standing on the set of this movie with a camera in a different aspect ratio than this movie I'm watching, and they took a picture of that character and then photoshopped a shadow behind it, it would look like a different movie, maybe. (laughs) I mean, that's what you get. 
with Stanley Kubrick, man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not saying anything. I don't want Dan and Post to come out, so I'm just going to leave it. Oh, man. <laughs> Hi, this is Dan and Post. Just in case you missed it, there was a discussion, a lively one, on the Facebook Extra Credit Discussion Group. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash remedial film pod regarding a potentially photoshopped picture from the Shining set. There was a lot of back and forth as to whether they intentionally made Wendy look like Nosferatu or whether it was a photoshop or maybe an on-set photo. You guys should probably hop on and check that discussion to catch up. How about the, uh, the slogan at the uh, Air Force Base? <laughs> what was it? Uh, like, peace is our peace business. Is our business. <laughs> yeah. It's Orwellian. Oh, yeah. It's a fun movie, right? There's a lot of hearty hearty. Sure. But uh, I think this is like a third tact that we haven't discussed yet with how you can deal with something as horrifying as the Cold War, right? You can attack bugs by proxy. You can attack it head on like fail safe and make everybody sick to their stomach. It's so tense. Or you can put somebody in a position and make them look at the big concept, but then just ornament it, right, with just silliness to try to get mm. you to laugh through the pain. Well, I think that's what Mel Brooks did with Blazing Saddles. Like, he took he took the subject of racism and made it funny. But not funny because racism's funny. He made it funny because he poked fun at the racists. Right. And he made their behavior and their mentality ridiculous right so it's not offense it's offensive sure yeah sure but it's it's it opens your eyes it it doesn't glorify racism right so this movie doesn't glorify the bombs or war it just basically makes fun of all the warmongering people in charge mm-hmm. so it's it's acceptable it, but a good filmmaker can do that. You get a bad filmmaker and it makes this movie and all of a sudden you're like, why, why are they, why is war so awesome to these, to, why, why do I feel like it, it's fun? Why is war fun? Like, it's gotta be done right. I love when they're, uh, they're talking about like the, the doomsday machine <laughs> and, um, and like basically the dude's the one general like starts like just salivating over the like him describing it and he's like we need it's, one of those it's like, like he's no, like talking about nobody sex. needs one of yeah. those he's like the woman in failsafe like he was all turned on <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like nobody needs that yeah we need that yeah i mean it's perfectly done and in the end he was kind of right because the the ambassador did come in as a spy <laughs> Like yeah. all that, all that, uh, that rhetoric and everything that he was he was doing and saying, in the end, he was he was kind of right. We can't have a mining shaft gap. <laughs> hey, this is Dan and Post. Just for the record, they never actually show whether the ambassador brought that camera or whether we planted it on him. So, confirmation bias might make you think, oh, indeed, after all this. Turgeson really was correct, but Turgeson might have just planted that on him to make himself look correct. So, I don't know about you, but I'm going to score that one as undetermined. 
I didn't like the guy playing the ambassador, though. I wasn't feeling that. Yeah. He was a little too... Too snobby. Well, he... he it was I mean, kind of like uh, in, in Failsafe, like the character that Mathal plays. He, it was almost like too on the nose. Everybody else was playing so serious, and he was like a caricature. Well, uh, he certainly wasn't taking that as seriously as Sterling Hayden was taking his role. Better known as Dix Handley. <laughs> Dix Handley. Dix Handley. He doesn't give up his essence anymore. No. I thought he was going to hang himself. I didn't know he was going to shoot himself. <laughs> when we put that towel around his neck, I'm like, wait, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and then boom. <laughs> and again, great filmmaking. They didn't have to show you anything. <laughs> Just the fact that he couldn't open the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's perfect. Because like today, today's filmmaker would show you the room and, or they'd show you like the guy laying there like with this yeah. fa- look on his face. You don't need any of that. No. You have one of the one of the best physical comedians in Peter Sellers and, and you have already given us enough information. Right. Just let him play with that. And yeah. he did. Like he didn't even Ugh, so perfect. Ah oh, yeah, just what a man needs. Some was it uh some water on the back of his neck and yeah, you know, and the codes and that's all a man needs and <laughs> pop. But <laughs> like oh shit. It's pretty wild to think about audiences watching this movie and receiving it warmly like a month and a half after Johnson takes over. Right. Like, it feels safe. Yeah, it came in the election cycle, and yeah, it's, it's a tense time, but like, you know, you're six weeks out from the Kennedy assassination, and people are trying mm. to find a way to laugh at it. Hey, man. Ugh, what a time to be alive. Yeah. I just missed it, thank God. I could imagine. There probably wasn't much good news on TV back then. <laughs> Is there ever? Sometimes you get a puppy story today. <laughs> Did you notice that they shot the combat from like ground level so it looked like news real or like news reporting? Mm. What, the, the storming of the base? Yeah, anytime yeah. they've got ground troops down on the ground, the, the camera's held low like it's a news report. And I imagine it would be a weird, like, realistic image, right? Like a familiar image to these these movie watchers. Kind of shocking. In the middle of something so goofy to be like, oh, God, this again. Like, oh, yeah, we see mm. this every time we go to the movies or every time we turn yep. on the news. Like, Yeah, it was, they were constantly bombarded with newsreels back then. Not like today. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> It was different though. It was like it was almost like American propaganda back then. Like it was always, uh, it was, it was kind of glorifying the military in yeah. those, those newsreels. Yeah, that's no different. We than, don't get that today. Yeah, we well, we kind of do. We still kind of do. They try not to. Started watching the movie, thinking, "Okay, this is going to be the same movie I just watched. <laughs> Why am I watching two of the same movies in a row? There's got to be a reason." And then, you know, as slapstick things start to happen, I'm thinking, okay, that's the difference. It must be. That must be the difference. And I did, you know, have to tell myself to, like, it's it's not normal to, like, expect normal when you're watching a movie. Mm. 
So like it's abnormal to think logically when you're watching a movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're supposed to just like accept the abnormal or accept the illogical while you're watching. Suspend your reason while you're watching. I have a tough time doing that. But as soon as I start started seeing some of the slapstick elements, I was like, okay, it's going to be one of mm-hmm. those movies. And I got through it, and I enjoyed it. Towards you know, towards the end, I was like, yeah, this is funny. And it's just just things, especially, dude, especially towards the end, like the the you know the the coke machine and the like, the trying to make the the call collect and like trying to like. What I like, <laughs> I'm dude, watching it. I'm going, maybe we should do airplane next. I'm like, yo, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, uh, yeah. Like, who thinks of that, bro? Like, who thinks of that? I was watching it, trying not to, uh, the, watching him wrestle with his arm the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sitting here going, I don't know if he's going to take this the right way. Like, like, they don't establish, I didn't realize how much they don't establish why like why he's not why why his arm has its own mind yeah uh you know the whole they slowly let you in on the fact that he's mm-hmm. one of hitler's guys mm-hmm. basically like he's just yeah. like talking about eugenics and all these different things and, oh yeah yeah that did not go over my head no i didn't think that would but no. the whole wrestling with the hand I, I never when i was young and i saw this i was like why the freak is he is he possessed like what's going why is he wrestling with his hand yeah so i wasn't sure how it would fall but you know, you were laughing. Calls the president Fuhrer by accident a couple times. <laughs> yeah, might be a good time to talk about Operation Paperclip. Are you familiar with the Operation Paperclip, George? Uh, Paperclip is. It was the, basically the the relocation of all the scientists from mm. the Nazi Germany projects. Right. Yeah, and right. the U.S. and the Soviets both, but ours was Operation Paperclip. Theirs was who knows what. Uh, we both basically divvied up and snuck out as many uh, German scientists at the end of the Second World War as we could so as to use their knowledge to build even better weapons. NASA. Uh, yeah, they got us uh, into the moon. Yep. Take that, Soviets. So it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, the the moral rigidity uh reduces a little bit uh, all in mm. the name of beating the soviets right hell yeah nothing's wrong mm. if it helps beat the soviets yeah apparently unless it all ends in nuclear annihilation of course yeah hindsight is 2020 is it though cuz i hear uh general ripper handley over there talking about communist plots and fluoridation conspiracy theory crazy stuff and I just think man I don't know if we're any better today I thought I had a similar thought yeah yeah but again none of us were alive back then to know exactly what was we're going by what a satirical movie is saying yeah so was that a theory? I don't think that was a theory. I think they. Were. I don't know. I think it might have been. Dude, there's goddamn flat earthers that exist. Oh, I know. Right but now. I'm talking about the. Fl- I always grew up knowing that our own government put the fluoride in the water, so it was. Well, that's what I mean, the you can talk to your, you, to you think. can talk to your sister because she's she's a dental hygienist, so you can find out the actually the history of it. 
but I never ever heard the theory that the Russians were putting fluoride in our water. Oh, definitely, bro. Turning the frogs gay and everything. Well, it's not that the Russians (laughs) were doing it. It's that we were doing it to ourselves, but because we'd been swayed by those evil communists who wanted us to have nicer teeth. Right. Right, yeah. Ugh. Nice teeth. I don't even think it's real. Well, I'm a firm believer in communism being a bad thing, so I don't think anything uh, uh, said to make them look bad is necessary. What do you mean? I think, I think the whole concept of communism is bad. So anything we make in our movies to make them look bad is kind of, it's asinine to think that we could make a communist mentality look bad when the communist mentality in general is not good. Who's it's ma- killed millions of people. Who's making? No, what Dan's saying is like, ugh, the Oh, the communists, ugh, like, we're, as Americans, no, looking down on communism. They're strong teeth. That's not what's being said. Hey, guys, look up real quick. Oh, it's gone. It was the point. Yeah. What's the point? No, the, po- the point. it gets lost. The point is that General Ripper is parroting what I, I'm looking here at some NIH uh, website now about the Research on fluoride in the 40s. So the timing probably does line up. I mean, they're very specific to 1946 being the start of fluoridation in the Mm -hmm. movie. And I imagine they picked that date on purpose. Right. All I'm saying is that this movie is making fun of people who blame everything on communist conspiracy. Like, for example, the fluoride in the water can't possibly be put there by the government to make us healthier. It must be the communists trying to steal our essence, right? Right. Stuffed right. crust pizza. There's cheese in my crust. It's gonna make me fat because the communists are inside of Pizza Hut trying to make me fat, man. So I can't fight the communists, man. I gotta have grain alcohol bread instead of like. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's the same crazy. thing as we talked about. You know, last year I think at some point where everything that goes wrong in this country, the solution is a border wall, right? Population's too high. Border wall. Too low. Yeah, border wall. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You know, that's your, uh, COVID that's your spreading thing. through the different states. Up oh, border wall. Like, oh, they, oh, they did. They met my expectations on that one. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing. Uh, something I don't understand. It must be communists because it can't be that I just don't understand the value of nice teeth and healthier children. It's got to be communists trying to steal my essence. It's also an interesting reflection on someone who is mentally unwell and detached from reality yielding power and i think that's where when we all go back to flat earthers you know it's not that they have a harmless theory it's that they have a theory that is a clear sign that they are no longer in the reality that the rest of us are and to give them power such as a nuclear bomber wing would not necessarily be prudent and i don't think that's trying to no i don't know i I don't think any movie is trying to make communists look good that we've watched no and i think that they i think that the the evil of the communists is kind of uh assumed in all of these movies that we watch and the only thing i mean in the last movie failsafe there was definitely like a pulling you down to the the human well yeah they're saying we're, we we have common threads we just refuse to see them right that's what they're saying like the movie. fact that right. we're all human right? right and like you know 
but yeah, like the 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 whole communism bad thing is like an assumed thing in all these movies. But also the I wasn't aware that it went that deep. That's like, oh, dogs are barking, must be communists. Like I just I didn't know that was a thing. Oh yeah, chemtrails, okay. communism, everything's uh, communism. Possible, depending on if you listen to this, if you believe in those things. It, it depends. Like safer yeah, just not crazies. to believe in those things, though. Just <laughs> right, but there's there's crazies <laughs> on every level for every conspiracy theory, but there are also well thought out people that might believe in the same conspiracy theory that a wackadoo does, and it might be a true conspiracy theory, but because the wackadoo is the loudest person chirping about it, mm-hmm. it's it's a crazy theory. But in the end, twenty years later, we find out it was right. You know, if someone screamed uh, 50 years ago, 40 years ago about the Tuskegee Airmen, back then they would have been like, shut the fuck up, that's just not going on. And then you find out later, oh, wait, it was. Oh, and they were giving them syphilis, too? Like, it's just, Mm. you could sit there at the time and say, yeah, that's a crazy conspiracy theory. But when conspiracy theories start becoming truth, but you've spent 20 years shitting on the people that were saying it 20 years ago, and then it turns out they're right, it's been tainted because it comes out as truth 20 years later, but they have destroyed 20 years of people saying, why aren't we talking about this? So, I mean, it it's on both levels. Because I'm one of those people. There are a lot of things that I was called crazy about 20 years ago, and now everybody's going, well, did you get the, the new autobiography on this and all this true shit that we didn't know about? Mm. It was all redacted back then, and we were all crazy, and now it's out. So it's like... How familiar are you guys you go either way. with the works of Immanuel Kant? I'm a little bit aware of it. Do you remember the categorical imperative and all that? Mm, remind me. Well, basically, the long and short of it is, and the part I want to highlight is that Kant says that if you tell so, if you tell a lie, but it turns out that it, you were actually spreading a fact. Right, like if you didn't, if you spread information in bad faith, and it turns out to be true, that you're still lying because you didn't have the evidence at the time to back it up. Right, and so the concern is that you know, when you don't have the information to back up your fluoride, you know your your fluoride theory, mm-hmm. uh, you may you're essentially uh, you're lying even if you you know. Turn if it turns out years later that what you said had some grain of truth, you didn't know it had that grain of truth, and you just got lucky. But for Kant's purposes, you are committing a like a grievous, you know, almost a sin by lying. I think that's I think that's true. If you're like intentionally, like if you're intentionally lying, like with malice, right? You're saying like you don't have the evidence to back it up, but like sometimes you don't have evidence to back it up. Sometimes you're just like, you know what? I it's think this is what's going on. Yeah. yeah, like you know, in this movie, the 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 fluoride thing was, he just felt it, and he knew it was the fluoride. Right. You know, example, that was that was his evidence. Ten years ago, people were saying, uh, 1984 is no longer a fictional book, and then yeah, we were joking about yeah, that. Slowly, we would start seeing. Once memes became a thing, people would show the memes like, oh, I went into every public library and moved this book from fiction to nonfiction. So mm-hmm. it became like a thing, and then everybody's like, you're crazy. 
Stop. But here we are in 2021, and we're like, yeah, George Orwell was a prophet. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, are depends. we though? When was the last time you guys read 1984? George just read it yesterday. I started reading it again a couple of weeks ago. I mean, no, not the whole book, but aspects of the book. But when was the last there... time you read the book? I just wonder. I've read it twice at least. I've never read it recently, but I've read excerpts here and there. Because that's my concern. Is I hear people all the time. Uh, you know, Orwell is fact, or Orwell is prophet, and oh, it's 1984, and it's like, well, I mean, there's elements of like, I, it. I think people are talking about how how small the world has gotten with, you know, AI and 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 uh, technology, and how Big Brothers everywhere. Your cell phone is Big Brother. Like, there's aspects of that book that are no longer fiction. But then there's aspects of Dick Tracy that's no longer fiction. <laughs> like, it's just, mm. I mean, he had a watch, he talked into it, and now we have those. And so that's it's like, why I moved Dick Tracy to nonfiction <laughs> anytime I'm at a public library, guys. Get on see, my meme train. Sh- people don't give a shit about <laughs> Dick Tracy and his watch. They care if Big Brother's watching. So they're going to m- maybe reference Orwell more than they're going to reference Dick Tracy. But in the end, yeah, I mean, are they it, wrong? In the end, Orwell was through fiction. Um, it, the book was a warning, right? Oh, for the, sure. The, the The book is not. It's not. I'm not saying it is fact. It's not. But it's scary. It's not that, fiction for the sake of making it. Yeah, you know, just telling right. a story. That's like a Michael Crichton movie. Like, it's a. It's <laughs> a warning for sure. But it's right. not like I, it's any less scary or more scary today than it was in 1975. The tricky part is that it's become like a, like memes and, uh, you know, social media culture have Mm -hmm. made it like a new thing that we all, it's like a, it's a meme. It's the book itself is now currently a meme that we're going to talk about, but. But you don't think in 2021 it's scarier than it would be in the sixties because we're actually at that point. Which point are we at? I think it is more scary now that, that. We basically, the powers that be, have full access to everything we do and say. We're there. Almost there. I mean, things that, that the NSA has been doing for, like, I know you've brought up the, the I Patriot think that, Act. I think and that the, the and difference, that. I think the difference is, I can't say that we're there because I've actually read the book, like the whole thing multiple times. And what happens in that book is. We're not there yet. Well, no, we're not there at the that but, aspect. But, but I'm saying, the, but the framework to be able to do what's in to that book, get to yes. that book is definitely, definitely right. there. But now, the framework but has this, been there since 1945. No, it has not. No, it has not. We all carry a beacon around with us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that was not there in the 40s. The smartphone is the telescreen. Like that, just that just is what it is. The uh, the Ministry of Truth is out there on your cable news network, you know, spinning mm-hmm. every story. There's no such thing as just news anymore. Everything is spun. It doesn't matter which side you're on. It's spun. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the access to, you know, access to your, your, all of your information, your location, 
um, you, like all that going through your cell phone, the, you know, the microphone that's in it, which God knows, I mean, it's, it's gotta be active all the time, right? It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Cause you have to be able to say, Hey Siri, and she comes up. Mm-hmm. It's gotta always be listening. Right. Yep. And it's like, you know, can someone tap into that? Can some, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Why not? Baby, the infrastructure is there. Even baby monitors, computer uh, dude, screens, I think everything. Like, you know, in the in the book, like you have to get up, right, and you got to like stand in front of your telescreen and do your do your exercises in the morning. They're now, actually like marketing that now, which is hilarious. <laughs> right? No, that's what I'm saying. Whenever I see like it's like, oh, download this app, and it'll like it'll notify you, and it'll remind you to do this, and it'll like count your steps, and it'll make sure you're doing this and that. Like it's voluntary mm-hmm. right now. Right. And look at TikTok. It's voluntary right now, but could it not could it be not voluntary in the future? The infrastructure's there. Yeah. Like it's there, but we're not there yet. No, we're not. We're not we're, there. Uh, you worded it better than I did. Yeah. The the structure is there if the wrong people want to do whatever. And then someone will say, Well, we were there. They'll say we were there. Because I remember back when uh, the Patriot Act was put in put into place. Yep, and the Bush administration and everything that Cheney was doing. Everybody on the left was saying, "We're there, here we are." Yeah, and they were right. They were right. So <laughs> right as shit. Here yes, we are, twenty were. years later, and the the players are in position to do whatever. I mean, Snowden outed it a while ago. So I mean, it's it's not wrong to say. Yeah, it's wrong to say, oh, that book is happening. It's it's already happened. But it's right to say we are in danger of this stuff becoming a reality because A, B, and C. Yeah. Guys, uh, actually, at the time this movie came out, there were reviews that said uh, it would take a lot of work for him to make a more uh, anti-American movie than this movie. Because it makes us all look a little dangerous. Yeah. Which brings me to the moon landing, right? Like, why would the U.S. government <laughs> hire this guy of all people? But I was reading today just because I, you know, watching this movie again, thinking about what, what the government of the United States had to think, looking at this movie and looking at what Kubrick had presented uh, of their perspective, because we all know the people with the best sense of humor <laughs> and patience for satire is, you know, the 1960s U.S. military. They are all mm. about sensitivity. <laughs> that is right. true. Yeah. So uh, why on earth would the conspiracy theory point toward, of all directors, Stanley Kubrick faking the moon land? doesn't make any damn sense. Mm. I didn't know that they did. That's like a thing. Yeah, it was like one of those things. If you read the the reasons, though, it's stuff stuff as wonderful as like, (laughs) I still, oh my God. The fact that in The Shining, uh, all Mm. work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, all, capital A, lowercase LL, is a hint toward Apollo 11. Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a, a that's stretch. I mean, there's a YouTube that's, video that'll try to convince you. Yeah, mm. I've seen it. 
<laughs> it's so, just there's a uh, there's a point at which my patience for uh yeah, um, no, I mean I can see why you haven't invested any time in the Wendy theory because you think it's similar to that. Yeah, it's not. It's not. No, because I not. actually saw the 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 video on his involvement with faking the moon landing because of where he was when he made 2001 and mm-hmm. the uh like it, a lot of the stuff that he was able to use them both like it and i'm just like seriously i i honestly i don't have patience for the faked moon landing people but i get it there are people that believe the earth is flat so dude <laughs> can we do more horror so we stay away from politics <laughs> <laughs> sure oh I'm, wait no i'm having fun <laughs> uh now, did you did you notice the song at the end of the movie? Did you recognize that song, George? It was uh, the bells, right? Yeah, uh, it was the Exorcist theme. Uh, <laughs> if you mute the movie and play the Exorcist uh, theme, that's what plays at the end of yeah, the movie. That and uh, isn't a Pink Floyd movie or song as well? The Wall. <laughs> the Wall. Yeah. The wall. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's a song by Vera Lynn. Uh, we'll meet again. Uh, which is referenced in The Wall, uh, in the song Vera. Are you familiar with disc two or side three of The Wall, George? Can you recall that oh, from wow. memory? I was, I was joking. No, you nailed it by accident. <laughs> Again, uh, Immanuel Kant is making a really Emmanuel nasty face Kant at you. Immanuel Kant would say you're an evil man. Um, <laughs> you violated the categorical imperative by stating something that is untrue, but just happened to be uh, broken True. clocks right twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so am I... Con- Yes, I am familiar with all sides of the album The Wall. So you remember the song Vera? Mm, not particularly. Does anybody Vera? here remember Vera Lynn? Remember <laughs> how she said, the back of the class. we will meet again some sunny day? Doon, doon, doon. Vera, Vera, what has become of you? Does anybody else in here feel the way I do? You know that song. It's very short. It comes before Bring the Boys Back Home. When was the last time you listened to the wall front to back, George? Bring the boys, bring the boys back home is number eighteen. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it starts with the drum roll. Before that, the song Vera. It's very short, very sad. Dude, I'm not even kidding. If I look at on my on my phone, the wall, Pink Floyd, 1979. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It gets all the way to sixteen. Nobody home. 18, Bring the Boys Back Home. I do not have the song Vera. Vera you don't have the song <laughs> on Vera on your phone. Dude, uh, to avoid a copyright I'm gonna strike, have to Google it. I'm going to have to cut this part out. I'm going to send you a, Well, yeah, you can Google it. You're a big boy. But yeah, I'll just, pull that up real quick. I wasn't as familiar as I thought I was. I was missing a whole song. Hmm. Hey, it's Dan in post. As you can imagine, George, Travis, listen to Vera from The Wall. Check it out if you haven't already. If you're not familiar, then... Uh, starting right here is where we came back in when he was done listening. That's it? That's it. It's super short. But uh, when you are a like 13-year-old angsty teenager and you listen to The Wall all the time, that's a mm-hmm. good one. Uh, cut to when they released the live version of The Wall uh, back in like 2002 or 2003. In the liner okay. notes, David Gilmore talks about how he loves the solo of comfortably numb but he hates that vera lynn crap okay i remember being like oh david it's my jam anyway uh it's a song by vera lynn that ends this movie 
It's a World War II, one of those kind of songs that they you listen to if you were deployed, uh, especially, okay. you know, the British forces. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. You know, it's supposed to keep the troops' morale up so that they know they're coming home, right? And if you're on the home front, you're thinking about your dad or you're thinking about your husband overseas. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, something to keep the morale up and keep everybody uh, from staring too... too <laughs> too strongly into the abyss, right? Waiting mm, right. for either your spouse or for the knock on the front door. Right. Cut right. to uh, March of 2020 or so. Queen of England gives a big speech uh, rallying the country and, you know, support your healthcare workers and stay home. We'll get through this. And she makes it a point to use the line, we'll meet again. And uh, that hit hard, man. But again, most people probably don't remember that song or the Pink Floyd song as much, and it's not even on George's phone, but I remember that being a gut mm. punch for me, being like, oh my God, like we're at World War levels now that the, the Queen of England is referencing. Uh. Anyway, that's how they end the movie. Hmm, it's uplifting. It's definitely not. <laughs> if you don't look at the screen, it's great. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted a more appropriate song for the end of this movie, uh, did you notice his uh, George C. Scott's binder at one point is like targets listed by Megadeths or something like that? It's one of those like strategic <laughs> target kind of things. But I was like, yeah, that that's actually what you need to close out this uh, movie is something a bit more on the nose. Some Megadeth? Heck yeah, man. <laughs> hey now. Maybe some Iron Maiden. Run for the hills. Run for your life. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's about the only song I liked from them, though. I wasn't a big Iron Maiden fan. I love their artwork, though. I used to draw their shit all the time. Yeah, I'm not a big Iron Maiden fan either. Yeah, but their artwork, the albums, pretty sweet. Not that I, not that I don't like them. I just haven't gotten into them mm. yet. I guess that was the only mainstream song I ever heard. Yeah. Used to play on MTV. Mm. I only know it from Rock Band. So there. <laughs> there you go. No, the, Sorry, the Jason Wilding. Come on, Headbangers Ball. Headbangers Ball. So this uh, Doctor Strange Love is based on a book called Red Alert, written by a guy named Peter George, who was a, an RA, RAF. Uh, I don't know if he was a pilot or if he was just part of the RAF, Royal Air Force, working in England, uh, writing books, kind of on the side under pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. He writes this book. Uh, it comes out, and then two years later, the book that uh, Failsafe is based on comes out. Now, the book that Peter George wrote is called Red Alert. Uh, it is, of course, adapted heavily, and the satirists that get a hold of it add Dr. Strangelove, change the title, change the whole ending. Mm. Uh, in the book... It's a lot more like failsafe, uh, only at the last minute they're able to stop the bomb on the last plane that gets through and save the world. Hmm. Uh, once they wrote the script and added Dr. Strange 11, changed the whole tone and changed the whole ending and made it what it is. Uh, the story that I see on here is that <laughs> Kubrick gets wind that a very similar book is about to be made into a movie by another great director, and he sees competition at the box office. 
Now, the tricky thing about Failsafe is it's an independent production funded by whom I can't find any record of uh, who the original bankrollers, you know. Uh, we talk a lot about independent cinema in the horror genre. Uh, we don't talk about it as much in the political genre, but uh, so some shadowy or completely legitimate business people are backing financially the making of Failsafe. Columbia is going to be making Dr. Strangelove. And so, in a strategic move, Kubrick arranges for a lawsuit on copyright infringement on the book Failsafe versus the book Red Alert. Hmm. And the information Oof. I'm seeing here is that basically they're saying that the character of Grota Shelley, who is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name, Walter Matthau from Failsafe, mm-hmm. is too similar to Dr. Strangelove, who doesn't appear in the book Red Alert. Okay. So that's kind of BS, right? Like, you can't... Yes. But who knows? You know, the internet sources on these things are pretty shoddy this far out. The important thing to know, though, is that they settle out of court, and as part of the deal, Columbia buys Failsafe. So it owns... The same company owns both these movies. But as part of the arrangement, Failsafe can't be released until at least six months after Strangelove. Mm. So Kubrick gets his way and in the end kind of wins, right? Because sure. on the whole, it's a much more mainstream movie. Right, no one's talking about Failsafe. Nobody's talking about Failsafe. But Failsafe does come during the election cycle, which you couldn't have predicted it would have been that topical. But, but damn, boys. Mm. Also interesting that it's like the exact same book. Yeah. Well, I know for uh, Strangelove, they actually got that author of Red Alert to co-author the screenplay, I believe. Well, and he also novelized the movie into a book called Dr. Strangelove, including all the new stuff from the movie. Gotcha. But the weird thing is in that book, from what I understand, uh, of course, I haven't read the uh, Dr. Strangelove book, but it's basically like aliens come to Earth. And are like, wow, this planet certainly fucked up. Wonder what happened. Mm. And then it goes through the story. Gotcha. Mm. Well, at least it shows that the author of uh, Red Alert was actually on board for all those changes. Yeah. Like took yeah. That book and, until, and he, then... until he committed suicide by shotgun in 66. But do we know why? I mean, can he ever know why? The whole point of the doomsday machine is lost. If you keep it a secret, why didn't you tell the world, eh? Right. <laughs> so really, right. this whole movie is just, it boils down to a happenstance timing issue, because if mm-hmm. if they'd waited like four more days for this incident to happen, we would have already known about the Doomsday Device. That's right, a weird gonna... thing to boil into your script. Like, it's funny, right? It's comedy. To be like, oh, we were just about to announce that. But like... Right. <laughs> It, you know, takes a little bit of the wind out of my sails as far as my, <sighs> I don't know. It was a choice, right? It was a choice. <laughs> hey, so one thing, guys, I'm going to need a little help from you guys and also from the Kubrickian apologist crowd. Are you ready? Mm. Sure. So the, uh, the American, uh, I think it's like Colonel Bacuano. Backwana. Yes. Comes in. He's got a like an M1 carbine, I think. Uh, points it at Peter Sellers' character. 
Tells mm-hmm. him to put his hands up. Mm-hmm. Puts his hands up. Cut back to Bat Guano. He says, oh, I said, keep your, put your hands up mm-hmm. over your head and keep them there. Mm-hmm. But his hands were up when we cut away. Yeah, he did tap the book. Yeah. He did tap the book, but his hands were up when we cut away, and then we come back, his hands are down again. Guys, that's I a noticed, continuity I error. It. I, noticed it too. I noticed it as well. Are and we I, sure that that was the reality? Like maybe something, maybe that was in Batshit's head? Well, actually, uh, you know, anytime the guy's hands are... <laughs> I saw a video on YouTube that anytime his hands are up, it's what Bat Guano is not seeing, but what he's projecting right. through his mind. Right, but it wasn't it wasn't being recorded from behind, so... Uh, it was it not being. It was actually being recorded from behind him. Oh yeah. shit! Whoa, yeah. it, Wendy Mind is blown. <laughs> and he's got his two hands up in the air to signify the two L's in the word "all," which is the Apollo Eleven reference from right. Five Years of in the course. Future. Of course, guys, Sorry. we cracked it. We cracked. They lost the me. Code. As soon as I hear "back guano," I think of Ace Ventura. So I know he really ruined it for us. <laughs> Thanks, Ace. They have guano. <laughs> yeah. That's, as soon as I heard that, that's what I was thinking of. I do think it's funny that this movie, I guess it's 64, so I, I'd have to go back and look at my like, you know, timeline of cursing in movies, but they avoid the word shit at least twice in this movie. Mm. Bat guano, bat shit being one of them. And then there's another where they just like, just don't say the word. Like they get to the, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, it's got an edge to it. I think for 64, it's probably a pretty edgy production. But didn't Mathow like pimp slap a woman like not even a couple months later? Like, <laughs> yeah, but that was an independent production, right? I mean, if oh, you think okay, back to okay. the think back to the Friday one and two, right? They did all kinds of shit in those movies that they would not have done if those were Friday three or four, which is produced right. by Paramount. Studio, so, right. independent film production, you know, it's got its merits. I will say, gosh, guys, the plain tech in this movie mm. is not as good as I remember it. It's basically no, it's just they, they just like peg a miniature plane to the front of B-roll footage and then tilt yeah, the plane. Blue screen. Like, oh, yeah, guys. It, it looks like, again, what made me think of Airplane when I was watching this movie. It looks like those, it? those exterior scenes where they show the plane flying and you hear <laughs> propellers. <laughs> <laughs> you hear the propellers the whole friggin' movie and it's a 747. It's a jet, yeah. <laughs> Guys, and great. just this exteriors, it reminded me of that. If you ever take the time to watch Case of the Scorpion's Tail with me, which is one of the better Jallos from the early days, we've talked about it before. It's the Der Schwanz des Scorpions, which sounds like the dick of the scorpion. Yeah. Uh, yes. They have some airplane footage that is seriously like somebody went to the toy store, found an airplane, hung <laughs> it on a string in front of a blue piece of cardboard. <laughs> I highly recommend that movie, but the special effects are not great. It's like the movie with the giant praying mantis where they just show that thing flying next to planes. It's like a 50s monster movie where the okay. mantis becomes huge or whatever. A Cold so War it, what, what, era, yeah, Yeah, man. Cold War just era. Just like them, where, just like all the others. Yep. Don't look directly at the scary. And they show this thing flying and it's like just a plastic bug next to an airplane that's on a string. Like, it's just so bad. Well, I mean, and like, if you look at Dopia Faccia, Faccia, I don't speak uh, Italian, uh, Double Face, which is a kind of mm. a kind of a giallo, kind of a crime film. They do like car crashes and it's seriously like a pullback racer just <laughs> over, a fi- over a black cat <laughs> firework. Like, this, like, 
It's like those videos of those cars uh, on the treadmill, and you have to bet who's going to last. Who it's wins. always the mail truck. <laughs> they need to paint those treadmills green. Think of the limitless possibilities. Oh, my God. It's Guys, true. That'd be fucking awesome. Let's quit oh this God. podcast and just go do green, green screen, screen races. Races on green treadmills. Green screen treadmill races. Oh, yeah. shit. We could probably make money doing that. We could get Trav an RV. We'd be bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be bigger than hula hoops. <laughs> <laughs> now if we could green screen the hula hoops yeah oh god so george final yes, thoughts sir. both good glad you saw them both. Uh, yeah i'm glad i saw them both they're both good um it's just it's your personality man if if you like a serious film fail safe is where it's at if you like goofiness naked gun watch strange love yeah strange love <laughs> is great too yeah, it was like yeah. the Farley, Farley brothers made this movie before they were even born. Like, it's just like, yeah, he channeled them. They stand on the shoulders of giants, man. Yeah. I don't think you get Airplane or Naked Gun without right, Strange Love. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'd like to hear an inter- interview with them and see if they, uh, they, uh, say their influence is this, which is weird because. <laughs> Coop, you know what? Kubrick. You know when I think I was on board with the slapstickiness of this movie, I'll, I know exactly the moment. It was the conversation between the president and the Russian prime yes, minister. Yes, that's when I heard him, you. He's get calling on him Dimitri, and he's and he's, they're talking about their day, and they're talking about like why would I? No, I would call just to talk right. to you, but this time I'm calling. You know, <laughs> and like, and it took him so long to get to so the good. point. It it was yeah. absurd. And His delivery, like, uh, Peter on... Oh God, it was yes. fantastic. Now Dimitri, he sounds Dimitri. like uh, yeah, Dimitri. He's got a real Gene Wilder <laughs> thing going on with yes. his delivery. Oh yes. my God! And it's just yes. like, man, I this yeah, it's it's so good. I am as sorry as you are, Dimitri. Don't say that you're more sorry than I am. And look at my waterfall. That's the most important thing. Because I'm capable of being just as sorry as you are. It's mixing my chocolate. It's actually churning my chocolate. So from, that, from that point on, I was, I was on board. And I'm sitting there watching that scene getting heat flashes because I'm getting so angry because it reminds me of listening to my children playing Fortnite with their cousins. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or what's the other one? The, uh, what, the, they have like the imposter, the Among Us. Where they're trying to talk to each other, but they're also avoiding each other. So you hear them repeating each other's names constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's every time he goes to Dimitri, I would like cringe because I, I can just hear my kids saying their cousins' names yeah. over and over and over again. No one's listening to each other. They're just repeating their names back and forth. And I yeah. can't hear what's going on on the other end. I can only hear my kid. And it's like I'm listening to him talk to this, this uh, president, the president talking to the prime minister. Is it a prime minister? At the time, whoever, what yeah. you would call it, I think a premiere, uh, premiere, premier, yeah. And it, he's just like Dimitri, Dimitri. No, no, no. I would call you if you were Dimitri. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my god, you are coming in clear. I'm coming in clear. Well, <laughs> yes, then I, I guess say we're we both are coming both in coming clear. In clear. <laughs> coming in clear. Yes, it is a great yes. day when I we're would, both and everyone's coming in clear. <laughs> yes. I would, I would yes, definitely I would call be. you for no reason, but this isn't that day, that day. <laughs> It is fun though because they never let you hear the uh, premiere's uh, voice, so it like it no. it serves the gag. But it is it's one of those weird times when the movie is exactly the same as Failsafe, yep. but at the same time, not at all the same. And I don't think you you have 
the premier's voice on the other side, which makes uh, Sellers' performance even better. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because exactly. he's having that conversation with no one. Yes. And that's so much better. Yes. <laughs> so good. But yeah, both movies great. To- two totally different animals. Um, this was not what I expected from Kubrick because I've seen some right. Kubricks, not like anything else I've seen. No. And um, I don't think after. I think this is the only one that's like this. That's like, yeah. But yeah, both good. We've really, I mean, over the past three weeks, we've dealt with like a serious, somber look at the AIDS crisis. And we've dealt with the Cold War back to back, nuclear annihilation, the end of life on Earth. George, I th- and human, human cloning. We, we dealt with that with uh, weird science. Mm-hmm. I think you might need a break, dude. <laughs> you think so? Do you think you need a break? Travis, can we give him a break? I think he needs a break. Ooh, no, hold on. Let's just do one more apocalypse. Let me break. look at this calendar real quick. Guys, can you believe it's already going to be October next week? No. Time is flying, dude. I mean, just Crazy. it seems like just yesterday was the beginning of September. And we're watching zombies. Next week, <laughs> we are going to step back into the fall break. George, are That's you ready insane. to watch Friday the 13th, part 15? <laughs> yes I am too but we don't have it yet so I'm an avid enough movie watcher that I know that that movie doesn't exist oh yeah so we did something Travis uh, we have talked at length about a fall break plan for Mr. George yes do you think George is ready uh, yeah I mean as ready as he's gonna be so here's what we're gonna do George, are you listening? Are you ready? Yeah, he's sitting down. This week, you are going to have two movies assigned to you, and you're going to have to watch them both. I would recommend separate nights, but you can double them up if you think it could be done in time. Okay. Sometime this week, you are going to watch the 1978 classic, John Carpenter's Halloween. Didn't we already watch that? We did already did watch we? that, like a year ago. But it's been a year. Yeah. You've watched a lot of stuff since then. You're going to see it with a whole new eye also. Okay. You're going to follow that with John Carpenter's 1981 classic, Halloween 2. Okay. And then we'll talk about Halloween 2 with Halloween 1 in the back of your mind for our next episode. So we're not going to do Halloween again. We don't need to, but it'll inform what we talk about with Halloween too. Right. It has been a while. You want me to see, see it again. So it's fresh in my mind. Well, most people have seen Halloween about 700 times. Right. So you've got one. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, watching it again might be, and it's not like it's not painful. No, it's good stuff. Now, Travis, a little bit of homework for you. Oh, shit. Before you watch Halloween 2, mm-hmm. watch Deep Red from Dario yes. Argento. I know you've seen part yes. of it. Watch the whole I movie. I start watching, yes. Okay. Watch the whole thing. It's worth it. But also, it'll inform our conversation for Halloween 2, which, George, you've already seen Deep Red. If you want to rewatch it, if you have time for three movies between now and our next recording, go for it, but make that your okay. third priority. Okay. But, yeah. Obviously, one and two are the priority. I will probably go home and watch Deep Red tonight. 
Ooh, yes. If I can. It's so good. It should be streaming somewhere for free. That one's usually yes, on Prime. I think I started watching it on... It was on Prime, I think, uh, Yeah, free. it was either that or uh, HBO Max, one of those. Well, I'm excited to talk about Halloween, too, but I'm also excited just to be watching Halloween movies again, guys. Mm, Welcome to right? October. I might go watch Halloween right now, just to get my day started. Now, guys, hold on to your butts as we go through this Halloween series. We have a few twists and turns coming up to keep you on the edge of your seat as well as poor George. But until then, thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class podcast. You can always find us at facebook.com slash remedialfilmpod. You can email us at remedialfilmpod at gmail.com. And heck, if you're finding us on YouTube, you can find us on your podcatchers as well, like Spotify and Apple. And if you're listening on a podcatcher program like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., you can also, of course, find us at YouTube. If you take a look at our YouTube feed, you'll find a couple of special features coming up later this week and early next as we enter the fall break 2021. And we'll see you Wednesday, October 6th, the first full episode of Fall Break 2021, Halloween 2.